G'day humans. How you doing? How you feeling? How you faring? I'm chipper this week. Uh, at least as chipper as you could be expected to be whilst in lockdown. Uh, I'm chipper for a few reasons. One, we are smashing it at vaccinations. Australia is vaccinating at a higher rate than the UK and the US ever did. Significantly higher in terms of the proportion of the population each day who are getting vaccinated. So Aussie, 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 oi, 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 go us. And secondly, I feel sort of the same way that I did in March of 2020. In a strange way, a certain peace came over me as the pandemic truly erupted in the sense that I was early on the pandemic train. I, I knew what was coming before most of my peers and certainly significantly before everybody else did, not because I'm a soothsayer or a a prognosticator extraordinaire, but simply because I was a little bit tuned in with data wonky people and journos and epidemiologists. And it was clear to me several weeks ahead of everybody else that this Wuhan thing was not something to be messed with. This was going to change the whole world. And while I knew that and most people were treating it still as a bit of a joke, it was frustrating, infuriating, terrifying, isolating, anxiety-inducing. And then when the whole world began to fall apart in March and we entered a lockdown and everybody was shitting themselves at the supermarket and people were disinfecting every apple before they put it into their mouths and, you know, we didn't know what the hell was going on, a certain sense of calm descended on me and I felt like, okay, this is it. I knew the train was coming. The train is here. Now at least we're all on the train together. We're going somewhere. I know not where, but at least at least we're on. We're on board. No one's, you know, there are no there's like I'm not the crazy person standing on the train platform screaming at the heavens anymore. Like the train came. Uh and now we just have to ride it together. And there was a certain peace in that. And similarly, at the moment, the fact that New South Wales's coronavirus outbreak is completely unendable and is we are not going to be able to get back to COVID zero no matter how much we want to and that elimination is now off the table gives me a certain sense of tranquility I say this with all of the necessary humanitarian caveats that every person who gets sick from coronavirus in New South Wales is a tragedy every death is a tragedy etc etc that being said there are other values in the world such as people's mental health, such as people's ability to make a living and ha- not have the businesses that they've poured their life, their life's work into disintegrate before their very eyes because they're in lockdown. And I do feel like the train has arrived in which Australia will be dragged, whether it wants to or not, into dealing with COVID. And the naysayers who would have held us back and turned us into a, well, not turned us into, maintained our status as a hermit kingdom in perpetuity, now don't have to be argued with because they can't make their case because there is no going back anyway because even if we wanted to, we couldn't. Up until this latest outbreak, I've felt somewhat dejected and depressed that I'm going to have to 
have arguments with people who will always sound like they have the moral high ground because they'll always sound like they care about saving lives more than I do because they'll always be able to say, if even one person dies as a result of your reckless policies of reopening the international border, the blood will be on your hands. Now I don't have to give a shit about such nonsense. I can just say, well, you can live in your fantasy world in which Australia will remain insulated from a global pandemic forever. Meanwhile, I will live in the real world where coronavirus is here and is not going away. A little bit of confusion about uh, last week's rant. If you haven't heard the first 25 minutes of last week's episode, in which I interviewed James Matheson, before I did got to the interview, I did 25 minutes talking about lockdowns. You should go back and listen to that. It's worth hearing. I was not incredibly articulate, but I think I was passionate and channeling a sense that a lot of Australians have that we need to get out of this extreme knee-jerk lockdown mindset that clamours towards safety, the safety of having zero cases without putting into context the vaccination rate, the hospitalisation rate, the fatality rate, and the impact on all the rest of our lives that a pursuit of COVID zero can have. And many of you have hit me up on Twitter and elsewhere saying, well, I think you're being a little bit dramatic. The the official plan in Australia that National Cabinet has signed off on, National Cabinet is the collection of state premiers, which are, who are like governors, like American governors, and the prime minister, it was a, it's a body that was only created specifically to address the, the coronavirus pandemic, but now seems to, to be with us to stay. And I think that's a good thing. It's a good way for, for state and territory leaders and federal leaders to, uh, to get on the same page about big issues that cross borders. Uh, the plan that federal cabinet, that national cabinet has signed off on says that once we get to 70 or 80 percent vaccination, we, we will start opening up and that we will transition from phase one to phase two in which COVID zero will no longer be the goal and lockdowns will only take place in, in very localised areas and in extreme situations. So what you're calling for, Josh, is really what the plan already is. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it because although that's the plan on paper, that is not yet the plan in the brains of a majority of Australians. I mean, if you went to it, you know, if you, if, you, if you pulled someone up on the streets of Tasmania or Western Australia and you said, are you aware that the plan is that within the next few months you are going to be open, your state is going to be open, your community is going to be open to having thousands of new coronavirus cases a day uh, and that that's going to be okay. I don't think the average Tasmanian or West Australian or really any Australian is either aware that that's the plan or certainly not supportive of that being the plan and would be totally freaked out because they haven't yet made the connection between our oh, case numbers don't necessarily mean illness and death as long as you can, you can get vaccination numbers high enough. And that's certainly not the language that you're hearing from the premiers of states like Tasmania and Western Australia. And I should also hasten to add here that that is not actually the plan, even on paper. If you actually read the Doherty 
plan, which is what National Cabinet has based its assumptions on, there is no sudden Freedom Day that kicks in at 70% or 80% vaccination. It's a very slow, very gradual uh, de-escalation of lockdowns that begins around 70% vaccination. And the assumption in the plan was that we would have very low case numbers in Australia, case numbers in the 20s or 30s a day, not the 800 plus or 700 plus that we're currently seeing. Uh, whether or not that changes the plan is a matter of some debate. I'm not enough of an epidemiologist to know. The Prime Minister was on Insiders on ABC TV over the weekend and was asked this by the host, David Spears. He said, look, where, where you start doesn't make any difference to where you end up. So the Doherty plan is about ending up at a place where you're not having lockdowns anymore because you've got 70 to 80% of the eligible population vaccinated. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you start at 800 daily cases, 2,000 daily cases, or 30 daily cases. But then I hear from other epidemiologists and infectious disease experts who say, well, it does matter because one of the other assumptions of the Doherty report is that the contact traces are on top of community spread. Uh, at the moment, New South Wales is just busting against the seams. I mean, our contact traces are like they've been stuffed into a fat man's pants. The buckle is straining. They're holding it together. We don't seem to be going up, certainly not at the exponential rates uh, that you would expect to see given the infectiousness of the virus, the contagiousness of the virus. By the way, this is another thing that I should add as an aside, which is I hear a lot of people in Sydney saying, I don't understand it. We're locked down, we're obeying the rules, and the numbers keep going up, up, up. Baby, honey, sweetie, you do not understand exponential growth. The numbers are not going up, up, up the way that coronavirus or pandemic infections go up, up, up. You know, the, this virus is, has a, has an, a 1.3x infectiousness, which means that if you're going 1.3, then after, what is it, two or three days, you've doubled, and then the double has doubled after another two or three days, and then the double double has doubled after another two or three days. So if you started at 400 cases a day, pretty soon it's 800, 1,600, 3,200, 6,400, 12,800 a day. We're not seeing that. And so the lockdown is working in that respect. Masks are working, social distancing is working, and contact tracing is working. And all of those things have to be humming along and working in the background for the assumptions of the Doherty plan to make any sense. So when I see people saying, oh, you're attacking a straw man, Josh, you know, this is all in the report anyway. There are no premiers who want zero COVID forever. They're just following the national plan. Like I've got a tweet here from someone who says, there's a war going on against premiers who see COVID zero as a long-term strategy. Problem is, there are no premiers that see COVID zero as a long-term strategy. To which I would direct the kind gentleman back to perhaps the words of John Maynard Keynes uh, talking about the best economic policy for the long term when he says in the long term we're all dead. Yes, what is the long-term strategy? Okay, maybe COVID zero isn't the official long-term strategy for the West Australian Premier if by long term you mean when my grandchildren are old, but it's certainly the indefinite strategy within the only term that I care about, which is the short to medium term in which we all actually live our real lives. So my concern is that a plan that leaders don't defend and the public don't really understand and certainly don't support 
is not much of a plan, especially in an environment in which goalposts are constantly changing. I mean, Delta has upended everything. Delta's not going to be the last variant. There'll be new variants coming along all the time, and the less vaccinated the, the globe is, the swifter, more virulent or more contagious variants will be to arrive on our shores. And it strikes me that un- until we start thinking more maturely about aggressively abandoning COVID zero and finding ways to live with the virus, there will always be a temptation for the more parochial, insular and fearful premiers, like the West Australian premier, to find reasons to uh, misinterpret the plan, to uh, fudge the plan, to postpone the plan. I mean, it's gonna, you have to be tough at some stage to actually willingly allow people to get infected with a pathogen that could make them really sick or kill them. I mean, that takes, that takes a politician of enormous courage. And luckily, we kind of haven't had to have that courage in New South Wales. That's sort of what I mean about being somewhat tranquil and optimistic. We haven't had to muster the strength of will to do what it was clear that countries like Australia and New Zealand would need to someday do, which is allow coronavirus into the community. New South Wales has, in a strange, crazy, perverse, inverted, paradoxical way benefited from the fact that we didn't have to take a tough choice because it just happened to us. In states like Western Australia, which are still at COVID zero, they are going to have to take a massive, moral, bold decision to open up to the pandemic. And if it would have been tough for someone as economically rationalist as the New South Wales Premier to do, it's going to be impossible for someone as spineless as the West Australian Premier to do. Anyway, that's why I I still have worries about this sort of, I I suppose, the creeping soft authoritarianism that's going to have to accompany an ongoing COVID zero approach in places like Western Australia and Tasmania and especially Victoria. I mean, the images that you're seeing relayed of Australia in other countries around the world are shocking and embarrassing. There is a lot of misinformation in the States and elsewhere about what's going on in Australia. I mean, I I saw a tweet. Oh, my goodness. Let me find this. I saw a tweet from the editor-in-chief of a newspaper called The Times of Sweden, which sounds very important. But when you go to The Times of Sweden Twitter account, it only has 2,351 followers, and the articles are all sort of fairly alt-righty kind of things like... Parents, citizen arrest, pedophile who sexually attacked their 11-year-old son with a photo of a young man of colour with his face blacked out. Uh, What does the Bible say about immigration is another article. Uh, Swedes turn up to defend statue of famous botanist from being destroyed by far-left extremists. So this gives you a sense of the Times of Sweden. Anyway, the editor-in-chief of the Times of Sweden, his name's uh, Peter, well, Peter Emanuelsson, And uh, he tweeted, Australia is building a quarantine camp, sending dissidents to eight months jail and tear gassing children. They went from a democracy to full blown dictatorship in one year. If it can happen there, it can happen here. Warning for us all. To which I replied, what are you talking about, you strange man? I'm in Sydney. I just worked out in the park and I'm about to go shopping. Who are the dissidents being jailed? Turns out he's talking about the jail 
sentence in Victoria for the organiser of the Victorian anti-lockdown protest. Eight months was the maximum term that the guy received. He It was a minimum uh, period of three months, so he'll actually serve three months. And in addition to inciting unrest, uh, which was one of the charges, uh, he also broke a swag of health orders he travelled across a border that was closed between Queensland and New South Wales. He uh, apparently lied to police. Anyway, I don't... Look, I agree. I think I don't think a person should do jail time for disobeying health orders or organising protests in a free society. But to go, go from that to say that Australia has gone from a democracy to a full-blown dictatorship is uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit exaggerated. I think maybe Peter of Sweden... He should maybe sit down and have a, a little cup of elderberry tea. Do they have elderberry tea in Sweden? He should have a little elderberry tea and some herring. Uh, anyway, he's tweeting, uh, Australia was more free when they were founded as a prison colony than they are today. And the most important tweet that I want to bring to you, which I think he's not alone in thinking, is all of a sudden, he tweets, I've lost any interest in ever travelling to Australia. I think that's actually a sentiment that a surprisingly large number of people outside Australia are feeling. There is shock. I hear it from friends in the States about what Australia is doing. If you are shocked, as a non-Australian, by the severity of Australia's current lockdowns, let me just remind you of one thing, which is that Australia hasn't had the first wave of deaths from coronavirus yet and hopefully never will one person on twitter did a pretty sick burn to this bloke from sweden saying he's in sweden they just let all their elderly die last year that's why he's so bitter about australia and low death rates among the elderly and vulnerable they're vaccinated now in sweden and people are starting to wear masks so yeah you know, there are, I have friends in states in the United States where their children have not been to school in more than a year. They're school-aged children. Well, I mean, Australia has had schools open almost the entire time until this latest outbreak. My kids are still going to daycare. Life was normal for 13 months in New South Wales. There are strict lockdowns now, not because we're more hysterical than the rest of the world, but because we're out of sync with the rest of the world. We are doing now the things that the rest of the world was trying to grapple with last July when we had exited lockdown successfully and were starting to go back to normal life and the rest of the world was still in a state of total calamity and chaos. So it's sort of, it's almost, there's something almost karmic about all of this or like, you know, coronavirus is going to get you one way or another. It just, it just, it's just a question of when it's going to get you. And I think Australia was obviously right in hindsight to try to let coronavirus get us as late as possible when significant proportions of the population are vaccinated and we understand a lot more about how to treat the disease and how to prevent the disease and the impact of masks and so on than the early days. I mean, you'd much rather be Sydney grappling with an outbreak in August of 2021 than Lombardy in Northern Italy grappling with an outbreak in February of 2020. That was the policy. Just 
postpone the inevitable as as much as possible and that was that was a wise one so if you're outside of australia scratching your head a little bit in bafflement about why we're being so heavy-handed i'm the first person to say that the more heavy-handed aspects are too heavy-handed i think victoria has gone a little bit cuckoo uh clearly i mean if you listen to my rant last week i'm clearly in favor of it being time now to gradually open up and to 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 focus more on what the future is going to look like than on suppressing the virus right now eliminating it crushing it today with no heed for what we're going to do in two months time but nonetheless the the policy of trying to ensure that as few people get it as possible and using a lockdown to do so is entirely consistent with being in a country where 30,000 people are currently alive who would be dead had we had the fairly loosey-goosey policy that most of Europe and the United States took towards the pandemic. So it's less a, a difference of, of really severity of policy and I think more of a, a difference of timing we're just out of sync I don't, I don't think it's i don't think it's more free to have no students in new york going to school for a year than it is to spend a year without the virus and then crack down on it for a few months as you race towards the vaccination finish finishing line speaking of the vaccination finishing line i have two very useful tidbits of information which you can share with any vaccine hesitant friends if you wish uh, that came across my desk this week. The first is that epidemiologists now agree that if there was ever, if there had ever been a chance of eradicating coronavirus off the face of the earth through a mass vaccination program, that is now impossible thanks to Delta. So coronavirus is going to stay with us forever. That doesn't have to be a terrible thing. It will gradually get more and more contagious and it may gradually get less and less severe. And certainly once you've either had the virus or been vaccinated, it will just be something that circulates a bit like a cold or a flu. And with booster shots, that doesn't need to be terrible at all over the longer term. What it does mean, though, is that you are going to get coronavirus. You are going to get coronavirus. It's going to enter your nose. It's going to enter your lungs at some point. If you're vaccinated and strong, it might just you might just breathe it straight out and it won't infect you. If for whatever other random reason it does infect you and you're vaccinated, it'll give you a little cold, probably. Uh, and if you're unvaccinated, it will give you COVID and it will most likely make you very sick for two weeks. And it might kill you, but it probably won't. I say all of this, which sounds fairly obvious, just to reinforce for vaccine-hesitant people that if their concern about the vaccine is that they don't want to introduce something unnatural into their body, they are going to introduce something unnatural into their body. It's either going to be a little tiny inert fragment of the virus that has been designed by the world's most brilliant scientists to protect you and that has now been given in billions of doses to hundreds of millions of people all over the world. And it's worth noting that no vaccine side effect has ever emerged more than two months after the dosage was given. Vaccines aren't things that have side effects that show up years later. They're things that you get side effects from 
in six to eight weeks. Every other vaccine ever. We've now been on a mass program of vaccination worldwide for at least six months, places like Israel and the US and UK even longer. And billions of doses given, no major side effects are showing up, just the usual ones that you would have expected based on the clinical trials. So if you have vaccine-hesitant friends or if you're a bit vaccine-hesitant and you're just you sort of base it on a general sense that you're kind of you kind of want to want your body to be a temple and you don't want to be ingesting weird unknown things into your body you don't want to be injecting yourself with all of these bizarre this bizarre stuff you want to remain pure i've got some bad news for you you're going to get coronavirus and coronavirus is not natural coronavirus is not pure Coronavirus doesn't honor your body as a temple. 10% of people who get COVID end up with long COVID. And many, many months later, and most likely years later, in fact, some, for some people, it is already more than a year, they're complaining of fatigue, brain fog, muscle aches, massively reduced lung capacity, a horrible condition to have. And in roughly 10% of people who get COVID, they do start suffering these longer term symptoms. So if your body is a temple, you don't have the choice of keeping it a temple. Okay, you're going to get one of two things. Either you're going to get something that the most brilliant people in modern science have calculated to make you as strong and resilient against the virus as possible, or you're going to get a crazy viral pathogen that's been vomited out of the ass of a bat in China, and you're going to ingest that into your respiratory system, and that's going to go and do its number on you. There's nothing beautiful or natural or honorable about a coronavirus, about a mindless piece of RNA that's just bouncing around through disgusting wild animals in the hills of China or maybe designed in a lab, who bloody knows, and then when it gets inside you, it makes you incredibly sick and might kill you and might give you devastating symptoms for the rest of your life. There is no third option. There is no, I'm not going to get coronavirus and I'm not going to get the vaccine. The science is in, the epidemiology is in, the virus is here, you're going to catch it. You're either going to catch it, or you're going to get the vaccine, or you're going to get the vaccine and catch it. Those are your only options, okay, temple princess? So next time you're talking to a temple princess, just be sure to remind them, if we ever had any idea that we might, or any aspiration that we might get rid of coronavirus altogether, you can park that now. We've looked at Delta, we're all going to get it. You're either going to get it after having the jab or you're going to get it after not having the jab. Oh, but the jab is really new. The jab is untested. We don't know what's going to happen if you get the jab because it was just made in a weekend by some crazy scientist who works for an evil drug company and Bill Gates last year. Well, that was the second piece of information that passed, my, passed over my desk this week that I thought was really interesting. This comes from Eric Topol, who if you don't follow on Twitter, you absolutely must, American scientist. Look, he has been very critical of drug companies in the past. This man is no shill for drug companies. Also, can I just can we just put a can we just address the whole big pharma thing? Or who would trust big pharma? Big pharma, yeah, fine. Don't trust big pharma. Trust the data. Trust the billion billions of doses that have already been provided and the absence of any side effects. Trust the hundreds of millions of people who have got the vaccine and are fine. Trust the case numbers in the UK and the US. 
in places that are vaccinated versus places that are unvaccinated. Just look at the fatality rates in comparison. Just look at the real world. That, that is what you should look at. Who cares if the drug companies are motivated by nefarious profit-making evil empire bullshit? That's irrelevant. They might still have produced a good vaccine. So anyway, this question about it being so new that you can't necessarily trust it. Uh, I sort of believed that too. I mean, I, always, I never quite knew how to respond to that because it is true that they were made very, very quickly. I mean, the mRNA vaccines were apparently put together in like a weekend or a week, basically. I mean, I knew they already had the technology for the vaccines and all they had to do was slot the correct bit of the fragment of virus into it so that your immune... Oh, this is the other thing. It's... People, I heard someone saying, I, I, want, I want to be able to, to, to defend myself against the virus. I want my body to do it. I don't want to be injected by something that's going to do it for me. I don't want to be injected by something artificial that's going to make the virus go away. I want, to be, I want my natural defenses to protect me from, the, from coronavirus. Hello, do you not know how a vaccine works? The vaccine doesn't fight off the coronavirus. The vaccine is an inert piece of coronavirus so that it can train your temple goddess body to effectively respond to coronavirus when it sees it again. It's not that the vaccine is coming in and interfering with your immune system in order to take the virus on by itself. It's training your immune system. It's helping your immune system. It doesn't undermine your immune system. It bolsters your immune system. It assists your immune system in understanding this thing that's completely novel and new that your immune system has never seen before. That's what a virus does. So it's not like either you are going to be be resilient enough to stave off the virus or you're going to have to be a wimp and accept some assistance from this vaccine, which is going to do it for you. The vaccine doesn't do anything to the virus. The vaccine does something to your immune system. It trains it. It gives it a heads up. So anyway, the mRNA vaccine. Oh, they were all made in a weekend last, last year. Eric Topol tweeted a timeline of mRNA research, which I will retweet, going all the way back to 1961 with the discovery of mRNA and its function. And all the way up to today, as long ago as 2009, a dozen years ago, there were clinical trials of mRNA therapeutics. Then in 2014, new clinical trials for cancer immunotherapies of mRNA. It really heats up in 2017. Then there are inhuman tests of personalized mRNA cancer vaccines. So in the field of cancer research, these mRNA vaccines are not new. We've had at least four years of them. And more, and about a dozen years of their of their use in clinical trials, and about four years of them being actually used in practice. It's just the one that actually happens to be the coronavirus vaccine that's new. But there's nothing magical about that that we don't already know from looking at the way that other vaccines impact on the human body. And again, all of this is kind of moot because we've had a real world experiment of these vaccines, and they're being used successfully and safely all over the world. But I just thought that those two facts might be helpful with your vaccine-hesitant friends. A, they're going to get coronavirus uh, because we're not getting rid of it. So you're going to be putting something in your system. It's either going to be a vaccine or it's going to be a crazy virus that was just spewed out of nature in some deranged way that is harmful to you. And B, the vaccine is not as new as everybody says it is. Last thing I'll touch on here is hotel quarantine in Australia. Part of the opening up strategy 
is for the hotel situation hotel quarantine situation in Australia to be replaced by home self isolation at the moment we still have the regime in place that was introduced last March 2020 which is no foreigners can come to Australia no foreigner has arrived in Australia unless they got a special exemption since last March there's been some frustration about the fact that Hollywood celebrities managed to get exemptions in order to come here and shoot movies and so on. But I think that that's misguided frustration. And it's totally legitimate for big money-making enterprises to continue to be able to function in this country. Uh, and the expectation has been that that hotel quarantine system, which is for returning Australians only and returning permanent residents only, where you are literally met at the airport by federal police escorts and taken in a shuttle bus to a quarantine hotel uh, where you have to spend two weeks, regardless of your vaccination status and regardless of where you're coming from, that that will be replaced by some less onerous system as Australia begins to open up. Well, the good news is, full of good news this week, see? The good news is that uh, that new system is beginning to be trialled in South Australia Initially, this week, it's just for people who would be going into the quarantine system because they're coming from New South Wales and Victoria, but that's being expanded soon to international arrivals as well in South Australia. It's a small-scale thing. They're going to be using some technological solutions, uh, including apps and who, who knows what, to make sure that you're actually at home. Uh, they'll be randomly calling the people to make sure that they can prove that they're at home and so on. Anyway, this is this will be something that has to get worked out technologically about how you can make sure that the people who are who are isolating at home are actually isolating at home. Uh, but that heartens me because we are now in a ridiculous situation where we have many hundreds of people getting infected with coronavirus every single day in Sydney, and those people who are largely unvaccinated and definitively COVID positive are simply told to stay at home for two weeks. But another cohort of Sydney siders who are returning from abroad, if they are fully vaccinated and they are tested and proven to be COVID negative, they still have to go and be incarcerated in a hotel for two weeks before they can be released into the community. So you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Sydney-siders who are unvaccinated and COVID-positive who are trusted to stay at home, and another bunch of hundreds of Sydney-siders who are vaccinated and COVID-negative and get locked up for two weeks in a quarantine hotel. They might even have been coming from jurisdictions abroad where the background rate of coronavirus is lower than it is in New South Wales. You might have people coming from a pool, a community of infection that is less infectious than New South Wales, and they're vaccinated, and they get tested and they're negative, and they still have to spend two weeks in a hotel, and they have to pay for it. This is crazy, clearly. In New Zealand, there's a, an outbreak of Delta, and a big hello, and my thoughts are with you if you're in New Zealand. Uh, because everybody's locked down in a serious, serious lockdown there. They go hard in New Zealand. They do a full-on Victorian-style lockdown, not like here in New South Wales. Uh, and New Zealand, apparently, they when you test positive, you don't just isolate at home. You get moved into a facility. 
Like, talk about dictatorial stuff. I mean, they are taking this absolutely seriously. You get mo- I haven't read into this enough to, to be able to opine on whether or not it makes sense epidemiologically to me. But when you're positive, you get moved into a facility so that you're properly, quote-unquote, taken care of, but in reality, separated from the rest of the community so that you can't infect anybody. That would make at least some sense. Like, if people who support the current system of hotel quarantine for Australians who are returning from abroad, if they also said, well, okay, everyone who tests positive in Sydney should also be moved into some kind of a quarantine situation, I would oppose that policy because I don't think it respects human rights, but at least I would understand the consistency of their position. By contrast, it's completely inconsistent to say that very low-risk people coming from low-risk places like Singapore and Taiwan and Fiji who are coming back to Australia, who are vaccinated and who are COVID negative have to be locked up, but people who are unvaccinated and COVID positive who are in Sydney don't need to be. That makes no sense at all. The last thing I'll say is get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated as fast as you can, wherever you can. If you can't find a vaccination appointment, just try harder. There is always going to be a way. GPs have it. There are vaccination hubs. Beg, borrow or steal a vaccination. Uh, AstraZeneca has a one in a million chance of giving you a blood clot. Apart from that, everything is basically safe apart from minor, uh, side effects. Just do it. It's not going to hurt you. And the only option is either live in permanent lockdown or get sick from coronavirus or get vaccinated. Getting vaccinated is definitely the, the better of those three options. I do want us all to remember that there is a risk in Australia of our desire for uh, minimising the health consequences of coronavirus to lead to a soft authoritarianism where semi-dictatorial premiers surround themselves with police chiefs and the military to make sure that they enforce rather arbitrary and capricious public health orders, that they deprive us of our right to protest... You know, there are, there is a lot of bullshit outside of Australia in the rhetoric about how Australia's turned into a dictatorship, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a risk that is worth heeding and that is worth being mindful of as we try to stick the landing from phase one of the pandemic to the future of Australia's relationship to the pandemic. There is a very real risk that we will sleepwalk into a kind of soft authoritarianism that is safe from a medical point of view, but fundamentally illiberal. So go and get vaccinated, and in the meantime, obey the rules of the lockdown. See you next time.